It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 732, that's 732, of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is best-selling author, renowned speaker, Steve Farber. Now, some of you may know Steve as the author of the book titled The Radical Leap. Well, on this week's episode, I'll be talking to Steve about his new book. It's titled Love is Just Damn Good Business. Do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. And I, I have to admit, I love that phrase. Do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. So in this conversation, Steve and I, playing off this idea of doing what you love in the service of people who love what you do, we dive into the impact of translating love into action in your business. We'll talk about how love can be quantified and measured how to gain the love of your customers. We'll talk about why love leads to greater expectations and accountability within the organization. And we'll also dive into how to discover what you love to do. So all that and much, much more. Now, before we get to Steve, I want to take a second to talk to you about VanillaSoft. VanillaSoft is the industry's leading sales engagement platform, but most people simply refer to it as The Solution. It's the solution to ensure sales development reps make the right number of attempts for every lead. It's the solution to ensure sales development reps use more than just email, that they consistently use LinkedIn and the dreaded telephone as part of their sales playbook. It's the solution to serve sales development reps the next best lead over and over again so that they hit their numbers. The solution starts with the right sales cadence, and that's why you need to check out VanillaSoft's guide on sales cadences. It's titled Sales Cadences, What Works, What Doesn't, and Why You're Frustrated. And you can get it now at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. That's right. Get it at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. Okay, let's jump into it with Steve. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to talking today. We're going to talk about your new book, Love is Just Damn Good Business. Uh, <laughs> I said, it's a book I really enjoy reading. What, what was the sort of impetus to write this book? Well, you know, it's really, Andy, it comes down to a, a simple observation that I've made uh, after doing this work now for 30 years, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I came to a very simple uh, conclusion and an observation that will not surprise you to hear. And that observation is, love is just damn good business. <laughs> so, huh. I mean, seriously, it keeps, it keeps coming back around to that. When I look at the best companies that I've worked with, the most effective leaders that I've known and worked with over the years, it, it always comes down to that. that. So really, and I'm not the first one to notice this, certainly, and I, and I, and I haven't made this up, but, but so often you see, you, you hear this language, right? You hear, you hear people who are really, uh, really great at what they do, they talk about how much they love their company or they love their team or they love their customers or they love. So I just, I, I heard this word so much, but it wasn't, it wasn't just because I hear the language. When I look at those leaders and I look at those companies and see what they do, really in essence, they're taking that, you know, what some would disregard as a sentiment or a feeling and they're translating that into action, into the way that they do business and into the way that they lead. And I just don't think we shine the spotlight on that as much as we should. So that's, that's where the impetus for the book came from. 
I love the premise, which is do what you love in service of the people who love what you do. Mm. Now, when I, to point you, you walk about talk about in the book is you know this idea of soft skills oftentimes makes people nervous if you consider yeah. that this love is a soft skill yeah. because increasingly in this data driven age we can't quant- you know, we're nervous with things we can't quantify. But you make the case that you really can quantify this. Yeah, I think we already, you know, in essence, I think we already do. Uh, we just don't call it that. So, for example, you know, one of the, the ideas that we bring out in the book in, in a couple of different ways is, is the net promoter score. Right? Mm-hmm. So the net promoter score for, for the uninitiated uh, among us is, uh, is simply a measure of the answer to a very simple question. How likely are you to refer us, our product, our service, our company, to family or friend? Right. right. Yep. Scale of one to ten. What a simple question. And really what that is, is a, it's a love metric. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I give you a ten, I'm saying I love you. It doesn't say that, you know, specifically on, you know, on the metric, you know, that that's, that that is, you know, the highest number. But essentially, that's our experience. Um so we do measure it in a lot of ways. We measure, not only do we measure net promoter score, but we measure uh, employee engagement. And all of these things are um, just another way of saying, I love this place. I love this. You know, so, and having said that, love is a hard thing to measure. If we, if we think of it solely as, as a feeling or an abstract, like I said before, a sentiment. And, you know, how do you measure that other than it's just a very subjective thing? I know I have it or I know if I don't. I know I love my kids. I don't measure it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, but still, I think it's, uh, it, makes, it makes us nervous. Because if I can't, there, there are those among us who believe, if I can't measure it, it is not worthwhile to do. And, well, I, and I think that's fallacious. Yeah, well, and we see this in spades in sales, right? So, yeah. you know, primarily the sales audience is, yeah, I've spent a good chunk of my career teaching people about relationships and how to build relationships, you know, effective relationships in a sales context. And increasingly, we're seeing this pushback against this whole idea of relationships in sales because... Is that right? Yeah, because it's like, well, I don't, I don't want people to, I don't need people to like me. I want them to respect me. And it's, and it's, I think they're just uncomfortable with this term relationship on one hand. On the second hand, on the other hand is, is they can't measure the value of that relationship, yeah. right? They're not given a metric. Everybody's so obsessed right. with metrics these days. I don't have a metric for relationships. Well, I, I say, yeah, you do. It's you're, you're not hitting your numbers. That's a big exactly. metric for relationship. You, th- exactly. you think it's because you didn't do a good demo. Well, no, I, I can track every failure back to your failure of a relationship. Uh, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you who, who does not have a problem with that. What salespeople do not have a problem mm-hmm. with that. Uh, and you tell me if I'm if I'm right or wrong because you're the sales expert. The salespeople that do not have a problem with this idea are the highest performing salespeople in every organization. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Pretty I mean, much. they they if they're they are uh, in, unless you're in a you know very kind of a transactional, transactional, right? You know that's that's a different kind of a different animal. But if you look at the you know the really you know top notch. 
enterprise-oriented salespeople, it's it's all about relationship. In fact, it's so obvious that it even seems redundant to say it out loud anymore. Yeah, well, I agree. And that's why I'm always sort of taken aback when people think, because there's so often this, this connotation of relationship is, well, you know, we have to be friends. And I can imagine some of the same thing happens when you talk about love. It's like yes. people think, well, that seems a little unnecessarily mushy. Uh, so let me, let, me, uh, let me give you an example. Sure. Exactly what you're talking about. So I was speaking at a conference and a woman in the audience came up to me afterwards. She said, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of your book, The Radical Leap. And, and so is um, my top salesperson. And, and she said, let me tell you her story. I said, great, love to hear it. She said, well, we referred to her, her name is Vicki, and we referred to her on our team as the original love doctor. <laughs> that's, that's her nickname. <laughs> the love doctor, I love it. That sounds interesting. She said, yeah, uh, she's our top salesperson. She's really amazing. You should talk to her. So I said, I'd love to. I'd love to hear her story. So um, she gave me her cell phone number, and I called her up one day out of the blue. She answered the phone. And I said, is this the original love doctor? <laughs> <laughs> she probably, was, she probably yeah. was concerned at that point about the call. Yeah. yeah kind of, <laughs> Kind of freaked her out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, I, I of course, I, I she said, who, who is this? <clears throat> so uh, I explained, you know, I, t- I told her who it was, of course, and she was, uh, she was excited to tell me her story, which is this. She had, re- I think she had read The Radical Leap. Uh, she had read, you know, My Ideas on Love, or she heard me at a conference. I can't remember exactly where. But she said, then she started to ask herself the question, do my customers, who are, you know, companies like, mm-hmm. Target and Walmart. Right. Do my customers love me? She said, I know they like me. I've got a good relationship with them. They do a lot of business with me, but do they love me? So she went on this and she said, the answer to that was really, no, I don't think so. So she went on a campaign to get her customers to love her, which on the surface sounds kind of manipulative, (laughs) but here's, but here's why it wasn't. Because she, I mean, she really reflected on this and she said, okay, well, the, the fact of the matter is there's really no reason for them to love me unless I really love them. Mm-hmm. So do I love them? And she started with that. Am I really serving them in a way that shows that I love them? Mm-hmm. She just asked the question, well, when I'm, when I'm with people that I love in my personal life, friends and family, what do I do? What, what does that look like? Well, for one thing, I know what's going on in their lives and other stories and other kids. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, she just did this analysis mm-hmm. and she allowed herself, first of all, to, you know, to have that feeling uh, for her customers. And then whenever she saw them and they do a lot of traveling together at trade shows and all that kind of thing, that's what she started to do. She started to, to act with them like she does with everybody else that she loves in her you know, in her personal life, of course, in an appropriate way. Right, right. right. Obviously. Um, I hope that's obvious. And what do you think happened? This was already a top performing salesperson. Okay. This is not the transactional world that we were talking about a few minutes. Right. This is, these are high end sales. Her sales volume increased. Right. By $300 million. Now, I know she does big contracts. Mm-hmm. It's a big company, but I don't care how you slice it. That's big money. It's three hundred million dollars. <laughs> that's that's pretty big, right? And and so so you know how do you measure it? 
That's how you measure it. Well, so let me ask you a question because this is, again, we have a sales audience here. And, you know, the big trend in sales, which you may or may not be familiar with, depends if you do work with, you know, like SaaS companies, mm-hmm. is sort of the hyper specialization of the sales role. And yes. so instead of having one person like Vicky who goes out and she probably prospects her customers and she closes them and she services them on an ongoing basis because she increased sales to them, now we've got, Somebody who's a role, the business development rep, sales development rep, an entry-level role, they just prospect, right? They're just trying to get that meeting set right. up, which they then hand off to an account exec who's, no. you know, in some cases, are very transactional. They're called closers, but they're sort of your traditional yeah. sales rep. And they only take it to the first order, and then they hand it off to customer success, yeah. who then manages yeah. it and handles renewals and, and so on seems like it's hard, you know, for certainly in the first two roles to really develop that, that love, right? And between on really from even from the customer mm-hmm. side, right? You know, how do you, how do you develop yeah. that right. if you're constantly handing somebody else, handing the ball off to somebody else? Yeah. So in that case, a great question. So um, there are lots of jobs, uh, whether they're sales related or not, that are more transactional. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the the uh, connection with the end user, the customer, is by its nature transactional. So a relationship there is different, but that's just one dimension. I think there's the the engagement of of love goes beyond creating that kind of sales relationship. So here's here's what I mean, and and let me kind of step back for a minute and put it in in the right context. Okay. Fundamentally, ultimately, what we're after as business people, whatever role we play, is we want our customers to love us. It comes back to the net promoter score, mm-hmm. right? We want them to love our product, our service, our company, our brand, the experience of working with us. Right. Because anything short of that doesn't really give us a competitive advantage because we all know, you look at you know, tons of research on this, mm-hmm. if the customer says, I'm satisfied with you, gives you a five on the net promoter score, there is no greater likelihood they're going to they're gonna stick around than leave. Right. There's nothing holding them there. So we want our customers to love us. That's, think of that as the starting premise. The only way to really make that happen for our customers in a meaningful and sustainable way over time is to create an environment or a culture that people love working in. And I can't create that kind of culture or contribute to that kind of culture unless I love this myself first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about the, you know, the hyper specialization of the sales process, the other generic term that we use, not necessarily accurately, is that's a team. Right? That's a sales team, theoretically. Theoretically, although, right. Although, you know, just because something is called a team doesn't mean it functions that way. Right. But from, but from the customer's perspective, from the client's perspective, that's precisely what it is. The, the, the customer doesn't make a distinction between, oh, you're the guy that set the appointment and you're the, you know, you're the, the woman that called me up and you're the person that – they have an experience that's either going to be positive, really positive – neutral or really negative, right? And we all contribute to that experience, all of us, everybody that touches them and everybody that doesn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so love is, is a cultural 
thing. The, the more we can create an environment that people love what we're doing, are passionate for it, stand for our values, believe we can make a contribution, you know, valuable contribution to each other and to the world and to our customers, our customers will feel that in the experience of doing business with us. And we are more likely to be, uh, to be more responsive, to be more productive, to be more engaged, to be more profitable in the way that we do work. Because if I love this place and I love what we're trying right. to do, my standards go up. Right. And I think this is one of the, the lines that's really hard for sales organizations to, to cross, which is that, look, I'm hiring these salespeople. I just want them to be motivated purely by money. Yeah. Right? right. And so if their incentive is purely monetary, then their incentive to buy into a culture of love or whatever, yeah, fairly minimal. And and this is what you see oftentimes communicated to the customers, right? Is that that they understand that the salesperson is very transactional, just their uh you know, well, we do it every time, right? We say, look, we're trying to build a trust-based relationship yeah. and we love you. And then we get to the end of the month, and, you know, we're all here to serve you. And then we get to the end of the month, and but if you close this month, we'll give you a 10% discount. And suddenly your motivations yes. are completely transparent to the customer. It's it's not about serving them, it's not about love, it's about yeah, I just need to get this deal. Yeah, I think I think we get tripped up because we 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 consider those those um, those things those motivations as mutually exclusive. Uh, that it's all about the money or it's not about the money. Mm-hmm. Well, it's about all. Of it. It's mm-hmm. about all of it. Money's, money's important. Sure. And salespeople, you know, salespeople who are paid on commission are obviously motivated by money. The question from a sales management standpoint is, is that it? Is that all there is that motivates them? And the answer, of course, is no. If I, listen, if I, let me, let me speak in extremes. Sure. If I hate, if I hate this place, right? I, I, can't, I can't stand it. I don't like the people. I don't like the work. I don't, the only reason I'm here is because they pay me a boatload of money, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in that circumstance that sure. are really good salespeople. They make lots of money and they're freaking miserable right. every day. Okay. So if that's the case, now let's say there's a startup down the street uh, that is, is recruiting this person. Let's say you're that person, right? And you go and you, and you check it out. You say, okay, I'm going to make, maybe I'll make a little less money there. Maybe, maybe not because it's a startup. I don't know. And you go and you check it out and the place is, the place is lit up, man. I mean, people love being there. There's a lot of energy. There's a great camaraderie. There's a good vibe in the place. Chances are pretty good. As motivated by money as I am, I'm going to take the chance to go there because the money could potentially be just as good, if not better. But my experience is going to be, is going to be phenomenal, phenomenally different. Mm-hmm. Right out. Why wouldn't I go? Why wouldn't I go? Sure. So, so the, the environment that we create in sales teams and in companies is our best recruitment and retention. I don't know if tool is the right word, but that's, sure. that's where it comes from, right? And if all we're doing is just driving the money and, and, and we sacrifice everything else for it, which is the way, unfortunately, many people think they're supposed to lead, where we are undercutting our own performance ultimately. Ultimately, the other thing, right. yeah. But the other thing, Andy, is that is that I think 
there is a misconception that if I love you, everything is okay. <laughs> apparently, you know, by, apparently, people, apparently, apparently, apparently held by people who have never been married before. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But it's funny because in, in the business context, that's what scares us, right? It's like, you know, so the, the, the expectation is something like, you know, Andy, um, you, you haven't hit your numbers now for two months in a row, but I love you. So that's okay. That's okay. You may, you know, gone through a rough patch and maybe you'll turn it around in another six months or so because I love you. I don't want to, you know, hold your feet to the fire. That's not what it looks like. So ironically, Mm -hmm. maybe it's ironic. I almost said ironical, which would be a great (laughs) word, Uh, is that real love. If I really love you, if I'm your, if I'm your sales manager, and I really love you. I, I believe in you. I know you have talent. And I see that you are not living up to your own potential. My, my, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire even more than if I didn't care about you, if, all, if you were just a number to me, right? In other words, love comes with higher standards, not lower standards. Higher expectations, not lower expectations. And, and I, this is the ironic part. Oftentimes, higher levels of love are accompanied by lower levels of tolerance. Because if I really love this place and what we're doing, I don't tolerate people slacking off. I don't tolerate right. subpar behavior. I don't tolerate, you know, the, the bad attitude and the, and just the, the, the negativeness because we're better than that here. You see? So, so this is why love is just damn good business. It's, it's hard. It's, it's not soft, fluffy, California, touchy feely hoo-ha crap. It, it really, it challenges us to, to raise our standards all the way around. Yeah. So let's, let's translate that down to the individual level then, right? Because, sure. yeah, one of the big problems, and we'll just take sales as an example, is, and I think it's true probably across the board, but is increasingly the onus is put on the individual for their own personal development in their career, right? Yeah. Companies are investing less in training, and the training they're given is ineffective. And so the question is, yeah, how do you, Take this concept of people, yeah, I, I, I love what I do. I love my customers. But then it's hard getting people to take that next step to say, yeah, I need to invest in getting better and improving and be able to elevate my ability to add value and, <laughs> to my customers. Yeah. And that's a very hard bridge to get people to, to take these days. Because, you know, it's like, as I say, you know, people think life is an open book test these days, right? Everything, all the information is available to me. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to? Why do I need to learn it if I can always access it? And yeah. and so we, you know, I see this this you know rising specter of you always know, talk about the Dunning Kruger effect, and you you talk about this in your book. Is is you know how do you how do you get people to to invest? Well, it's a, yeah, it's a great question, um, and and it goes to the heart of how of how the book is structured, actually. The subtitle of the book is Do What You Love in the Service of People Who Love What You Do. Right. Which is also the framework that I'm, that I'm suggesting people consider. Okay. Right? So there's three elements to that. Do what you love, part one, in the service of people, part two, mm-hmm. who love what you do, part three. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, yes, I'm doing what I love, but that's not enough. 
If all I was doing was what I loved, you know, for my own development, because it makes me feel good, because it, uh, whatever, I mean, that's fine. But if that's where it stops, when you take that to an extreme, that's just another way of saying narcissism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As long as I'm doing what I love, it really doesn't matter how that <laughs> impacts anybody else. Right. So the second but that is important. You know, I, I need to light my own fire, as it were, if I could speak poetically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is it about this work that I love or the people that I, that I work with or the things that we the values that we stand for, or the future that we're trying to create or, you know, find something there. But then the second part in the service of people is the context. So I'm using what I love, but I'm using that to serve. I'm using that to serve you, you, my customer, you, my colleague, you, my coworker, you, my family, whatever the context is, right? So now I have a connection in the way that I serve you. And because it's rooted in in my own heart, I'm not serving you to some minimal, you know, expectation because just because I'm supposed to. I'm serving you because I want to have a significant impact on your life. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, when I do that, you reciprocate. So that's the who love what you do. They right. love you, right? So it all, all comes back around. So, so personal development is really important, and we need to take it to the next step, is how do I use what I'm learning and my knowledge and my wisdom and what I, you know, if I, yeah, it's easy for me to Google something. Like you said, you know, I can get knowledge everywhere, but the challenge is to take what I'm learning and use that to serve you. Right. That's the leadership element, and that's the competitive business element. Right. And that's, and I've said this for a long time and, and what I've written is that, yeah, sales is an individual salesperson. This is a leadership position that Absolutely. you're in. I mean, it's, yeah. it starts with you. It doesn't start with your manager. It starts with you. Mm-hmm. So I would jump ahead to another part of the book, which I liked is, is this idea of sort of finding what you love. Um, yeah. Which, you know, there's actually been things written about, I think it was just a few months ago, a study came out saying – this whole idea of finding your passion is maybe counterproductive. Um, yeah. You probably saw that. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I like this, this part of the book. You're talking about finding what you love. And what you're saying is it's, it's not happenstance. This is something that's a deliberate pursuit. Yeah. I believe it is for most of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there are people, we've all, we've all known them, uh, that just from the time they were young just had a sense, just had a knowing of, of who they were and what they were going to do with their lives and their pur- their purpose. And I think the earlier on in life that we can discover that, the, the better it is. But most of us have to work at it. And, and it's about, um, and I think that's an empowering thought, right? It's because we all have this, most of us have this sense that finding what I love, having a purpose in life, whatever, whatever kind of philosophical phraseology you want to give mm-hmm. it to, Intuitively, it feels like that's a healthy thing to have, but but if we think that somehow one day it's going to dawn on us uh, and we just have to wait around for that to happen, that's that's not particularly healthy because it puts us in a, in a kind of a victim mentality when we don't have that, mm-hmm. right? So instead, search for it. So, and it's really easy to start doing that. You can, there's, there's a, a very simple question you can start asking yourself right now. Um, the bigger question is, why do I love the work that I'm doing now? And if the answer to that is, well, you know, I don't. Okay. 
which is a legitimate answer if it's real, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's another variation on that, which is, well, what do, what do I love about it? Is there something that I love about this work? Because I'm not suggesting you have to love everything about your work. I don't love everything about my work. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell right now I'm in a hotel room. Right. I do a lot of traveling in my work. I don't love hotel rooms and bad Wi-Fi that comes with that. <laughs> I don't I don't love airports. Right. I don't love I don't particularly love uh you know, the mechanics of, of, of marketing and, you know, all the kind of the back end stuff. But there are things that I have to do that I don't love doing in order to do the work that I love. Right. And mm-hmm. there's a technical term for that. It's called being an adult. <laughs> so I'm not suggesting you to love everything about your work, but I think for most of us assume that there's nothing about our work that we love, but yet I really, you know, I've got a, a really great friend that I met here. I, I, I believe in our values. The, the mission of the company is really great. The product is amazing. So what is it that you love? And if you start focusing on that and then seeing what kind of impact that has on not only how you feel, but how you act and behave and perform, what we begin to discover is that there are things around us that, that are right under our nose that we're already passionate about and is really part of our so-called purpose. We just haven't paid attention to it. Uh, so we have to start looking under all kinds of rocks sometimes to make that happen. I went, this was my experience. This is exactly my own experience. Well, yeah, I mean, you, talk, started, you talk about it in the book, right? Yeah. I, so I started out, you know, I, I was a, I was a, a, a sales guy once mm-hmm. upon a time. Uh, I mean, I guess you could argue that I still am in, in so just like all of us sure. are. Um, but I started out in business. Um, well, I started out wanting to be a musician. I am a musician, but I started out wanting to make a living as a musician. Right. I also started out really young with the family and discovered that those two <laughs> paths. <laughs> so I opted for feeding people versus uh, just playing music. And, uh, and I went into business and I had a friend who was in the commodities futures business, which, uh, so, you know, he gave me a job. Right. Was, and, and it, pure sales. Yeah. Pure sales, getting on the phone, talking to prospects, trying to, you know, open accounts and make trades. And I was really good at it. The only problem was, well, before I get to the problem, the other thing that I discovered that I was good at was I was an entrepreneur. So I started out being a broker for somebody. And and within a couple of years, I had my own brokerage firm, my own shop. So before I was 30 years old and now I was running a sales team. And the only problem with the whole scenario was that I freaking hated it. I hated everything about it. And, and the main reason, well, not everything about it. Mm-hmm. I love my team. I love my team. I love the, the act of doing business, right, in kind of a generic way. Right. But I hated that people lost their money all the time because that's the nature of that beast. It's very mm-hmm. speculative sure. investment. It wasn't that they didn't know the risk. They knew the risk, but that didn't make me feel any better. Uh, so I just had this moral dilemma with my own business and my experience was, I hate this. I hate this. And, and so I made a decision to get out before I even knew what I was going to get into. So this comes back to your point of, of, you know, what is the, you know, how do you find this purpose thing? And is it even worthwhile and all that? I was so miserable that, and I did, I wrote about this in the preface to the book, actually, I, I, 
I was living in San Francisco at the time. I was walking around downtown. I was still in the commodities business and I was so miserable. And I knew two things with equal clarity. I knew there was something that I was supposed to be doing on this planet. I knew it. But the other thing that I knew with equal crystal clarity was that I had no freaking idea what it was. Mm -hmm. No idea. And then what happened was it was, it seemed like a random circumstance, but it, I don't think it was because my antenna were really out and, and I was really paying attention. I was in a conversation one day with a friend who said something about the, a mutual friend of ours was teaching some kind of workshops for corporations. And I'm telling you, Andy, that was all the information that I had. That's it. Yeah. And all my lights went on. I said, that, that's it? I, I'm that, in. That, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what that is exactly. Right. But it was a very intuitive kind of a hit. So then I started doing research on it, and I discovered there's this whole kind of training and development industry, and that, that led me on a path that actually started in 1988. Yeah. And, and led me to you know, the kind of work that I do now. Uh, so, yeah, it is worthwhile to discover your purpose and to be able to apply that to your work. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a living, breathing example of that. But it can also be it could be quite uh, a challenge along the way uh, in in discovering what that is. Yeah. And I think if you've read uh, David Epstein's book, Range, which has been a bestseller recently, you know, why generalists triumph in a specialized world is is he talks about how people that reach high levels of accomplishment in a specific field typically go through the sampling phase of their careers or of their chosen pursuit, if it's sports or whatever, where more so than people that specialize early and, you know, do one thing forever is, yeah, people go out and try different things. And yeah, sales is oftentimes, especially though I, you know, talk to hundreds and hundreds of people on this show alone, is sales is oftentimes second or third choice or second yeah. or third career, let's say. Uh, right. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, yeah, go, out, sure. go, out, go out and try yeah. other things. As you said, sort of build. Yeah, and, and it would seem to me that sales is a good way to do that kind of sampling, right? Because you develop that sales skill and you can apply it in virtually every industry. Well, and you also get exposure to lots of different types of businesses and different types yeah. of people. I mean, yeah, I think it's... <laughs> It's a great basis from which to sample. Absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And then I come along with a book that says love is just damn good business and you should do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Doesn't that sound easy? Just plug that in and see what happens. <laughs> but it's not, it's not easy. It, it, it is, uh, it, it's, it's a discipline. Yeah. And, and it, it, it involves trial and error. And, you know, then you, you hope you just, you know, you keep your, you keep your, um, you keep your wits about you, you pay attention and you challenge yourself to try new things. And who knows what the timeline is? Who knows? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story that I have not shared um, uh, publicly uh, before. I've been telling friends and family about it. Um, my son, Jeremy, is really a, a really good example of this. So Jeremy is now 31 years old. He's mm -hmm. my son. Um, just to give you a little backstory, he graduated uh, when he graduated high school way back when. He graduated with a 2.2 grade point average. I'm sure. So he's, not, he's not a great student, right? <laughs> Although he is quick to point out that he started his senior year with a 1.1 grade point average, so he did double it. The traje trajectory is good, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, he just wasn't into school. And then he traveled for a couple of years and finally decided, okay, I should go to school. 
I should go to college. Didn't want to, but he felt he should. Mm-hmm. He went to San Francisco State for a couple of years and basically bombed out. And and we kept telling him the whole time, look, dude, school is not for everybody. You don't have to go to school. Uh, so don't put that pressure on yourself. Find mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. So And he left. He left school. And, you know, and he had a good time. He was living in San Diego. He was working at a couple of clubs. He, you know, he just had a good experience. Um, but then uh, he just decided after a few things, you know, personal challenges of his own, he decided he wanted to go to school. So now the motivation became intrinsic. It was internal. Mm-hmm. Right. So he went to community college. So he basically had to start over. And, you know, the idea is you go to community college for a couple of years, fulfill your requirements, fulfill your requirements. Then you can transfer into a four-year school, do your junior and senior year. and, right. and great. So he, he killed it. Two years at, at uh, College of Marin up in mm-hmm. the Bay Area. Killed it. Started applying to four-year schools. The punchline is, last week, he started class at Columbia. Very cool. Yeah. So he called me up when he got accepted at Columbia and he said, and I quote, how's that for a turnaround? (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great story because my brother's son followed a similar path and ended up at Columbia to finish his degree as well as a, as a 28 or 29 year old student. So yeah. 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 So he's in probably the same, the same, uh, same uh, school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. So Jeremy is, uh, he's an econ major at Columbia which means that his that his path is into the into the finance world, you know, private equity and that kind of thing. Uh, if you would have asked him that three four years ago, he, he had no idea, absolutely yeah. no idea. Yeah. So now he's thirty one years old. He's on this this amazing path, and he went through a lot of he went through a lot of angst in his in his early twenties. You know, he said, "What the hell am I supposed? To, what am I supposed to be doing?" And we were always confident. I was always confident that he would find it. And it just, it, it, it's, an, it's an amazing thing to see. So I think we all need to give ourselves, two, we need to do two things simultaneously that I think are, can, can feel like they're at odds with each other. We have to be really attentive and, and turn over all those proverbial rocks in looking for what it is we really love to do. Uh, and we have to be really patient. Yeah. So it's that persistence and that patience mixed together that I think is kind of an advanced maneuver for some people. Uh, and then there's an element of trust that that the answer will come as long as I do the mm-hmm. work. No, it's a great story. I appreciate you sharing it. I mean, it's it's yeah. I said reminiscent of my my nephew, a little bit too of my my son, who's my partner here on the sales house, who uh, 31, but yeah, had a has had an interesting journey to this point. But you know, has found something he's passionate about with our digital marketing and what we're doing, and it just takes time, right? Yeah. You never, you never yeah. know. Um, yeah, I feel even though I was in sales in my 20s and sales manager, I, I sampled lots of different things. Uh, actually, I stepped out of sales for a while and did program management, then got back into sales. You know, just, yeah. just the path that took me on. So, um, yeah. well, good. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you joining me. Um, and we learned a, <laughs> learned a lot today, not the least of which is that 
unbeknownst to us, we live about 200 feet apart from each other in San Diego. I know. <laughs> I know. It's remarkable. <laughs> Just across the street. I, I, yeah, so, literally across the street. Literally yeah. across the street. Um, so we'll definitely make sure we get together in person sometime. And yeah, if only, if only there were if only there were restaurants and coffee shops to choose from. Where we in, in that area, right? So if only there were a few choices. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So thanks again for joining. Tell people how they can find out more about what you're doing and get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so the the new book, Love is Just Damn Good Business. You should be able to find it wherever fine books are sold. Uh, and, and I rec- and I recommend it. It's it's a thank you. book well worth reading. Thank you so much. Uh, and then stevefarber.com is where I live online. Um, you can find, uh, you know, my blog is there, lots of videos, audios, uh, all kinds of content that, and, and a way to, uh, uh, to reach out and stay connected, which I would love to do. All right. Great. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll look forward to talking in person soon. Thanks so much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Steve Farber. Join me again next week as my guest will be Bill Bice. Bill is the CEO of Boomtime. It's a digital marketing agency. And in next week's episode, Bill and I will be talking about how to harness the word of mouth marketing to create a sales boom for you. So be sure to join us then. And before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. Saleshouse is my growth training platform for B2B sellers just like you. And if you're a seller who's reached the limits of what the science of selling can do for you, and you're interested in learning about the art of winning, then come check out the Sales House. Learn how to master the human element of selling to crush your numbers. For more info, visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.